gift-giving cross on which was hung the salvation of the world. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We pray. Almighty God, graciously behold this your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed, to be given into the hands of sinners, and to suffer death on the cross, who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Almighty and most merciful God, give us grace so to contemplate the passion of our Lord that we may find in it the forgiveness of our sins. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
There's nothing more tragic than seeing someone turn away from the very help that they so desperately need. I remember when that truth came home to me for the first time. I was working in the city of Chicago doing college ministry at the University of Illinois. And one of the things that we had decided to do as a ministry was to pack up care packages for the homeless, little bags filled with a meal and toiletries uh, that we thought would help them. We went out with several other churches to the streets of the city. And as we went uh, down the various uh, avenues, we found to those who were without a home. The evening was filled with many wonderful stories of prayer and hope, care and comfort. But there's one encounter that I will never forget. We had just come out of one of the train stations and we ran into a man who was begging. We started to talk to him and he said that, what he could really use was a little bit of money so that he could buy a meal. We told him that we weren't carrying any cash, but we offered him one of the care packages we had made. He looked at the care package and he looked at us and he said the following words, I don't take handouts. And he walked away. Now, there could have been many reasons why he turned that meal down that night, but based on the smell of alcohol on his breath and the shake in his hands on a hot summer evening, I can guess. My hunch was that what the man really wanted was something to feed his addiction. And that addiction kept him from taking the one thing that he said he needed most, a meal. When we think about this story, I think it helps us to understand a little bit about why Jesus was moved to tears. You see, his whole life had been building to this moment. Finally, the Lord had come to Jerusalem, the Messiah that the people said that they wanted, the Savior that they so desperately needed, and they would turn him away. He came as a king only to be crowned with thorns. And so he weeps. He weeps because the ones that he has come to save have rejected him. The one who came to give his people peace and hope will instead be greeted with violence and condemned to death. And so Jesus' tears flow. But Jesus is not weeping for himself. But he's weeping for his loved ones who have rejected that love. Jesus weeps for those who need to be saved and yet who have rejected their Savior. Jesus weeps for you and for me.
we return to Isaiah for the next reading, chapter 53, verses 7 to 8. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And from Mark chapter 15, verses 1 to 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered them to be crucified. O oh Lord, have mercy on us. So which Jesus do you want? That's the question that's at the heart of Christ's trial, for we encounter two men, two prisoners. Pilate asks the question, whom shall I release to you? Which Jesus do you choose? It's a question that might seem odd. After all, the gospel writer Mark introduces the other man as Barabbas. We learn that he was a murderer and was captured in an insurrection against Rome. But a contemporary of Mark, the gospel writer Matthew, tells us this man's full name. He writes, now it was the governor's custom to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew that it was out of self-interest 
that they handed Jesus over to him. Barabbas's name was Jesus. And so the crowd is given a choice. Which Jesus do you choose? Which Messiah do you want? It's a question that's still relevant for us today. And I think, although we might hate to admit it, many of us still find common cause with the people in the crowd. When faced with the fears and uncertainties of life, we would prefer a strong and charismatic Messiah. We want a savior who says he's gonna clean things up, who gives voice to our prejudices and frustrations, who promises to make us safe and secure, to give us prosperity and take us back to the way things were, to punish our enemies, to raise up our friends, to make us strong. We like a man like Barabbas. Sure, he has some faults, but at least he's finally saying what we all feel and seems to have the guts to do something about it. But Jesus of Nazareth? The man who welcomes outcasts, who embraces those who are different from us. The one who comes not to punish our enemies, but to forgive. The one who says that our real problems are internal, that our true enemy is within that it is out of our hearts that come all the darkness and wickedness of our world. The one who says it's us who need forgiveness and grace? No, to that one we say take him away, for he makes us feel uncomfortable, for he shines a spotlight on what is truly wrong in our world a spotlight that shines squarely on every human heart. But make no mistake, Jesus is not on trial for himself. Even corrupt Pilate knows that. No, Jesus is on trial for us. For while Barabbas is the savior we'd prefer, Jesus is the savior that we need. And it is our punishment that he is willing to bear. We shout, crucify him. Christ responds, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.
From Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. As they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him saying, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. O Lord, have mercy on us. Why is Jesus on the cross? Because he was rejected by the religious leaders? Because he was condemned by the Romans? On the surface, the answer seems pretty straightforward. Jesus hangs between two criminals as one condemned. The charge stands above his head. This is the king of the Jews. It's a mockery, really. It's placed there by the Romans to establish once and for all that only Caesar is king. It's a warning to any would-be rebels of the consequences for defying the empire. And so hanging between these two criminals, men whose crime was rebellion against the power of Rome, we find Jesus dying a rebel's death. Or could there be more to it than that? For in a final desperate plea, we hear one man cry out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This rebel, a man who's spent his life fighting authority, rebelling against kings, cries out to the king hanging next to him, please, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
as his friend continues to shout curses at the authorities, as his partner in crime continues to rage against the machine, this criminal sees something else. He sees Jesus for who he truly is, the king, the one true king, the innocent one who, counter to all appearances, is the one person who should not be hanging there. Of all the people in Jerusalem who watched this miscarriage of justice, it is this lone criminal who sees the truth. Why is Jesus on the cross? Jesus is on the cross not because he deserves to be, but because he chooses to be. Jesus is on the cross not as a criminal, but in the place of criminals. This rebel sees it, and he begins to understand And so he asks in humility and hope, shame and tears, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It is a cry of desperation. It is a cry of faith. And Jesus, through the pain and agony of the cross, speaks these amazing words of hope and love. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus promises this man that in that moment, a great exchange has been made. That though they hang condemned, this rebel has been forgiven. In the shadow of death, the door to paradise has been opened, and this criminal has been lovingly ushered into the kingdom of God. This is really why Jesus is on the cross. He hangs there to die for criminals and rebels. He hangs there to die for all those who have rejected him, spat on him, and beat him. He hangs there to die for us, to take the punishment for all the crimes that we've committed, for all the times that we have rejected and rebelled against God, for all the ways in which we have fallen short. And through his cross, Jesus opens the door to paradise for you and for me. And we who were once sinners and rebels are ushered into his kingdom.
A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, from the Gospel of John, chapter 19. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother Mary and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. O oh Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. As a father of three, I can't imagine what Mary must be feeling as she stands at the foot of that cross. To look up and see the boy that she once cradled and rocked to sleep, the one that she fed and protected, the one she played with and taught, the one she watched grow into a man now hanging beaten and bleeding. How much she must have wanted to reach out and comfort him. How much she must have longed to wipe away his tears and tell him that everything was going to be okay. But how can she console her baby boy when he hangs there, surrounded by soldiers, wrapped in pain, embraced only by death? But even faced with such a horrific scene, she dared not turn away. She was not going to leave her child. But the response from her son is even more heartbreaking. As he hangs suspended between heaven and earth, as he spans the gulf between God's perfect love and his just wrath, as he wins redemption for all humanity, he in his immense and beautiful love reaches out to her. In comfort, he reaches out to the one who for so many years of his life was his comforter. In the midst of his pain, he extends his heart to his mother, to the one who raised him, who risked everything for him, who cared for his every earthly need. He now extends care and protection. He asks his friend, his confidant, to take care of the parent that he now has to leave behind. It will be the last earthly gift that he can give to her. And so we glimpse the intimate heart of Jesus, 
that even in the midst of winning redemption for the whole world, he is not so far above it that he cannot also extend intimate grace and unconditional love to a lonely elderly widow standing on a deserted hilltop. On the cross in this small interaction, we see the love that God has for each and every one of us. The grace that he pours out upon us is not an abstract theological concept. It is an intimate, tender, self-sacrificing act. It is a grace expressed in relational love. On the cross, we behold the one who is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. We see the one who came from heaven but was born of a virgin's womb. We see the one who holds the universe in his palms and yet embraces humanity. Jesus Christ, the child of Christmas, the baby of Bethlehem, crucified for us that we might be reconciled to God. The King of Kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary.
Our scripture reading is from Matthew 27, 45 through 54. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran, took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. O oh Lord, have mercy on us. There was darkness over all the land. And so creation itself lends its commentary. Judgment has come. Darkness descends. For three hours, the sun would not give its light. For three hours, the shadow of death would reign. And after three hours of pain, his body barely recognizable from vicious beatings at the hands of the Roman soldiers, his lips cracked and dry from the loss of blood, Jesus cries out in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the cry of one who is tormented and alone. Words taken directly from Psalm 22. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare at me and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. In this final moment of darkness, this song from ancient times is found on the lips of Jesus Christ. He speaks it because it does express the deep torment of his soul, the feeling of being forsaken by God, condemned to death with the weight of the world's sin bearing down upon him. And so he cries out in a voice that expresses all the pain and the loneliness that he feels. And yet, 
this is no cry of defeat. For even as he stares hell in the face, Jesus finds hope. For Psalm 22 does not end in defeat, and rather it ends in victory. For it reads, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This cry of anguish is also a cry of hope, a cry of victory. For Christ in that final hour knows that he is triumphant. He's fought the battle that he was always destined to fight. He has borne the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future, and stared death itself in the face. He has died so that all the ends of the earth would remember and turn to the Lord. This cry pierces not only the darkness, but reverberates through the halls of the temple in Jerusalem. It tears the curtain in the Holy of Holies in two. That curtain which, sim which symbolized our separation from God and from paradise has been torn away. This cry opens paradise for all who look to Jesus. It signals grace, forgiveness, refuge, and peace to all who have faith. Christ's victory has become our victory. His death has brought us life. His moment of darkness has become the moment of our salvation. And so he gives up his spirit. He knows that he will return to the Father fully vindicated as the one who was faithful, the one who was obedient, even unto death on a cross. He will return to the Father in triumph, for by his blood we have been bought from death to life, and by his wounds we have been healed. Oh. Uh -huh. 
There's dogs around me, they circle me about. Wounded me and pierced me, I can number all my bones. We conclude the reading from Isaiah 53. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. We continue John chapter 19. Now it was a day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you will also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. The final reading from Matthew chapter 27. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate 
and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. O Lord, have mercy on us. It is finished. The final bell has tolled. His body hangs lifeless and empty from the rough wood of the cross. He has been faithful. He's carried his burden to its final resting place and laid it down. Jesus has poured out his life for us. He has paid the price in his own blood. So what's to be done now? For Joseph, one of Jesus' friends, one of his disciples, there's only one thing that can be done. He goes and asks Pilate for the body of his beloved teacher. With great care, he took his master's body from the cross, lovingly wrapping it in strips of linen and laid it in a tomb. And so Christ, the king of glory, now lies broken on a cold stone slab beneath the earth. He's died the death that we should have died. He occupies the tomb that we should have occupied. This was his sacrifice. As the prophet Isaiah foretold hundreds of years before, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet Hugh of this generation protested, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. For all the pain he endured, for the death that he embraced, Christ has bought us back from death. He's taken our punishment upon himself and has made satisfaction for our sins. And though we end this night in darkness, we know that darkness does not have the final word. For Christ in his death proclaimed, it is finished. Our forgiveness and our eternal lives have been won. As the prophet says, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and bear their iniquities. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we have been passed over. By his blood, we have been set free from sin. Thanks be to Christ, our Passover lamb, our sacrifice of atonement, for by his death we have received life eternal. Amen.
We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Blessed are you whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are put away. Please be seated. Hold us in your mercy. 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 Maker's love poured out from heaven. Hold us in your word made flesh among us, us in your mercy. born as one of homeless pilgrims, us in your mercy. sent to bring the poor good news, us in your mercy. you who shared the sinner's table, us in your mercy. you Cleanse the leper's flesh. Hold us in your mercy. You who shared our life and labor. Hold us in your mercy. You who chose to walk our roads. Hold us in your mercy. You who silence raging demons. Hold us in your mercy. You who bid the storm be silent. Hold us in your mercy. You whose cross has gone before us. Hold us in your mercy. You who bear our cross for us. Hold us in your mercy. Guilty you became though innocent. Hold us in your mercy. Died that we might live of darkness. Hold us in your mercy. Free us from addiction's prison. Hold us in your mercy. Break the power of the darkness. Hold us in your mercy. Let us rise to life with you. Hold us in your mercy.
stand. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, you willed that your Son should bear for us the pains of the cross, and so remove from us the power of the adversary. Help us so to remember and give thanks for our Lord's passion and redemption from everlasting death, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.